Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than deny myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here, so let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 93 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Matt. Matt is from South India originally, but has lived in New Zealand since the age of seven. He is 28 now, and he works as a marketing contractor who does merchandising for various retail companies. Welcome, Matt. Hello, Jen. Thank you for having me on. Well, I'm so glad to talk to you. It's great to to hear from someone on the other side of the world from me. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's great to uh, talk to you. Well, you know, I like to start by asking, what brought you to intermittent fasting? Yeah, sure. What brought me to intermittent fasting was the fact that um, I was suffering from poor health at the age of 24, around January of 2015. I was diagnosed as almost diabetic. The uh, doctor basically said that um, I was a couple of years away from getting diabetes, and that would be irreversible. 
he said that I had, based on my blood test, that I had fatty liver, elevated cholesterol, high blood sugar. And uh, he said that it would be inevitable that I would get diabetes. And the best course of action for me was to just basically reduce sweets and delay the onset of diabetes for as long as possible. Now, I bet that was hard to hear at the age of 24, right? Extremely hard to hear, yeah. Because, you know, these are diseases that, you know, used to hit, you know, middle age and above, and now they're appearing earlier and earlier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember him particularly telling me that, so you have to avoid having too many sort of sweet things for breakfast. (laughs) So, you know. Yeah. (laughs) That was like the big, the big advice. Don't have sweets for breakfast. Now go forth and heal your, heal your body. (laughs) Yeah. So he was like, um, so you have to stop eating rubbish and you have to make sure that you have a nice, healthy breakfast at the start of the day. Okay. So were you were you overweight at the same time? Yeah, so I was quite, I wasn't morbidly over, overweight. I'm I'm sorry for you Americans, but I'm I don't know how to talk in pounds, so I'm going to keep That's it okay. in kilos. <laughs> I was around <laughs> about 102 kilos back then, so I'm I'm a 6 foot 1 male. So that's still rather overweight cuz um I wasn't muscular or like anything and I'm still not now, but um yeah, so 102 and um yeah, quite a lot overweight. Yes. All right, so I'm doing a I'm doing a calculator right now. So I think that's around two thirty pounds or something. Yeah, well, it's about two hundred and twenty four pounds for our American listeners. We we are helpless at <laughs> calculating no, it in our heads because we yeah. <laughs> All right, so about two hundred and twenty five pounds basically. Mm. Okay, so that really is not you know like hugely morbidly obese like you're saying. It's overweight, but. It's a surprise that you had all those things, you know, the fatty liver at the age of 24. Yeah. And I think it's got a lot to do with the fact I'm also a vegetarian. I always have been. And that's just because of my cultural background, basically. Right. Yeah. And when you're vegetarian and you're, (laughs) you don't really have a lot of options for in terms of like protein and stuff, like you can't have like lean chicken or like fish, which is really good for you. You're just eating carbs the whole time. So even though I wasn't like relatively that overweight, when you're just pretty much just eating sugar the whole time, you know, that that can do quite a lot of damage to you. But yeah, because we think of being a vegetarian, you know, if you think about vegetarian as vegetables, Mm. high quality vegetables, that would be a really healthy way of living. But I'm pretty sure that you could design like the worst vegetarian diet in the world and it would not even have a vegetable. It would just be all the sweets and yeah. I was living that, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what did you do when you walked out of that doctor's office at the age of 24? Yeah, so January of 2015, I followed his advice. I, I made sure to have, you know, rolled oats, and I made sure to have my breakfasts really healthy, as how he told me to. And I kept it up for about two weeks, and then I went back to how I was before. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so that was not your solution right there. It was there. not good advice right, <laughs> right, right there. No. And so no. I was like that. I didn't lose weight for another about three years until about November of 2018 when I was, because I started listening to the Joe Rogan podcast, someone called Dr. Peter Atia. I think that's his name. Right. That is his name. Yeah. He came on the podcast and he started talking about this thing called intermittent fasting. And it just made total sense to me. 
he said, do you really think that human beings would exist today if our ancestors weren't able to go for days and days without food and be able to function properly? That is really, when you put it like that, it just makes so much sense, doesn't it? Like we were not designed to have to eat every two hours to keep up our strength. I mean, that would have been impossible. I also like to think about, you know, the way everyone drinks water these days. You know, humans were not that fragile. They weren't carrying around buckets of water either. They drank when they came across it, you know, (laughs) (laughs) same exact thing. I mean, not, I'm not telling people not to drink water, but you know, my point is that, Think about how people lived and they were able to go for days, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that just gave me such an uh, opening of uh, just a clarity of, of mind on like on what I was doing was so wrong because I just couldn't lose weight. And, you know, and I mean, like I was running like crazy. I was running like I think it was four miles every day, which is a lot for, for that me. That is a and, lot. <laughs> that would be a lot for me. And uh, I never lost weight. And I just sort of had resigned myself to the fact that I'm going to be around 220 pounds for the rest of my my life. And the best thing was like, I'll get diabetes at the age of 55. So at least I would have delayed it. And so I heard this man talking about IF and um, the effect it had on mice when they tried time-restricted feeding. And he started talking about his own journey with it. So that's what got me started on my IF journey. I started with um, 16-8. And naively, I still try to do three meals oh, yeah. within the within the eight-hour period because, you know, because when that lifestyle of breakfast, lunch, and dinner has been so ingrained into you, you'd think you would do that. Right. And so the first day at 10 o'clock, I had my breakfast and then, and then like three hours later, I had lunch. And then by the time it was time for dinner, quotation marks, I was just too full. Right. I couldn't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> we do get that question. People are like, all right, so I'm going to start with 16-8. So is the goal to eat all three meals in an eight-hour window? And we are like, no, <laughs> that is not. <laughs> yeah. So it was just pretty much from the first day itself. I, you know, I started doing just two meals a day and I, and it's been over two years now. I've never had three meals in like a day since. Well, that's good. So you just, your body was like, nope, not having three, two is all you get. Yeah. So just that, it just corrected that behavior straight away. Like that lifelong behavior, which has done so much damage to me. Just the fact that I'm doing my eating by time rather than by a, this arbitrary amount of meals that itself, you know, solve that, you know, I, I mean, I, I have sort of screwed up my fasting a lot since. So, I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> it hasn't been perfect every day. It hasn't been like um, perfect, but yeah. So like um, I started doing IF and like the results pretty much came in straight away. Within two weeks, I went from about 99 kilos in two weeks, just doing a 16-8, building it up to about 18-6. Literally in about 15 to 16 days, I went to, I think, 93 kilograms. And I was just blown away. Okay, so for the Americans in the room, that's about 13 pounds. And in two weeks, you lost thir- about 13 pounds? Yeah. Wow. And see, so you. what's interesting about that is that you said you had been unable to lose weight prior to that. You'd been trying and trying and trying. And so when you did this switch and you just went to 16-8, you didn't change what you were eating at all at first, correct? You just changed the time. 
Nothing. Yeah, I did not. And I still haven't really changed what I'm eating at all. No. That's amazing. And I know a lot of people are are wishing that they could (laughs) have that amazing result in two weeks. Not everybody does, but you're young. So that probably had a lot to do with it. Because did did you struggle with your weight growing up? When did it first become a problem? When I left high school, I was around about 90 kgs, I think, which would be around 200 pounds. And when you're 18, 19, you know, like growing up, everyone does weights and stuff to, you know, (laughs) just that like phase. And um, I started doing weights and I was just eating like anything. In one year, I went from about 90 to about 106. Okay. So I gained a lot of weight and I was really big. And people were, were telling me that, like, you know, oh, you, you look so different. You know, you're, you look so much bigger. Yeah, I, I gained a lot of weight drastically after high school. And I just couldn't keep it off. Was it at college? Do you think college did that? Was it being sedentary? Yeah, during university. Yeah. You weren't doing the weights that you had been doing in high school. And I think, you know, a lot of us have that happen when we go off to college. We have a saying here in the U.S. We call it the freshman 15. Do you all have that same saying? Right. (laughs) I haven't heard of it here, but yeah, it makes sense. (laughs) Right. But you gained 35 pounds in that year. So that was a good bit. And so you go home. I mean, I remember the same thing happened to me when I went off to college. My mom was a dance teacher and I came home for break and I took a dance class, and one of the um, other dancers was like, "Man, you sure getting fat?" I'm like, "What?" <laughs> you know? Oh no! Oh, that's <laughs> I think I was nice. no. I think I was 17 years old, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, no, I'm not." Well, she was right. You know, that's what happens when we go off really? to college. Yeah. So you um, have been doing this since you said November of 2018. Yep. Have you settled into a a weight where you're just settled there and you're at your goal weight or how is that working? Yeah. So, I mean, I've primarily been doing 18.6. I have tried OMAD before. I found that with OMAD, I think it's like about an adjustment period of about a week for it to sort of become sort of easy where you're not getting that hungry during right. during the day because 18.6 for me is pretty much effortless. So I'm trying to switch to OMAD because it's just simpler to just just do dinner and just forget about it for the rest of the day. But like, um, yeah, so I'm still working on that. But yeah, I primarily do 18.6 at the moment. Now, are you at the weight where you'd like to stay or do you still have more weight you'd like to lose? Yeah. So at the moment, I'm about 195, I believe. I would like to be around 180 pounds. Okay. So that's where I would like to be. Yeah. So you've got about 15 pounds you'd like to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when you think of, like for me, one meal a day, a lot of people think of one meal a day very strictly. Like they're defining it as you sit down at the table, you have one meal only. So that's going to be like, you know, an hour at the most, even if you're like having a leisurely meal and that's it. So 23-1 is what a lot of people think of. Is that what you're thinking of with one meal a day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would encourage you to be more flexible with that definition just only because think about a multi-course meal at a restaurant, you know, an appetizer, main course, salad, that sort of thing. So for me, I just can't eat enough food in one hour to satisfy. I, you know, maybe it's because I'm a little woman. <laughs> I don't know. And I, I do like to eat, you know, hearty meals, but I do better with a snack and then later a meal. Right. Yeah. Because when I have tried OMED, you're right. I mean, my windows wouldn't be longer than about an hour and 15 minutes. 
And like with me, you know, satiation, I would pretty much eat probably about 20% more than what my regular meat will be when I would do 18, 6, and I'd have two really good meals, you know, and then you'd have to close your window. And then about a couple hours later, I'd be feeling like, oh, maybe I haven't eaten enough. Right. So I think that's what was sort of handicapping me a little bit. Yeah. I think that people think that you have to shrink it down that much and you don't. So think about instead, you know, there's a lot between 23-1 and 18-6. So instead of thinking about having two meals in a six-hour window, instead think about having, you know, maybe open with a meal and then later have a little something else when you're hungry again. I do better when I start with a snack and then later have the main meal. That works better for me. It can be a little bit longer than, you know, the 23-1, but shorter than the 18-6. Maybe you'll end up with a, a four-hour window instead, and that'll end up being your sweet spot. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, that's still so much better when you, with that extra two hours, when you stretch it out over 100 days, two or 200 days, that will still be so much better right. than two meals over six-hour window, as you said. Yeah, I never thought about it like that, actually. No, thank you for that. Yeah. Well, glad to help. We get in our minds, well, I'm going to try this now. And one meal a day, I, do you listen to the podcast that I do with Melanie, the intermittent fasting podcast? I've listened to a couple of episodes of those, but like um, I primarily, I mean, because I love hearing stories, so I've primarily listened to your the stories. One. Yeah, the I have well, stories. we had yeah. a, a big, I'm not going to use the word argument <laughs> because it was a, it was not heated. We weren't mad at each other, but we had a debate. Let's call it debate. The great one meal a day debate where Melanie and I debated, you know, how long your window could be and still be called one meal a day. But I know a lot of people define it very narrowly as 23-1, but I don't just because, you know, I've, I've been to a restaurant for hours before. And, you know, if you're at a fine dining restaurant and you're having all this, I like to think of it as, like I said, a multi-course meal over a period of time. And I also think, you know, that when you're having it around one meal time, like you're, you could structure it around dinner. Is that the time you prefer to eat dinner? Yeah. Yeah. Dinner. Yeah. So structure it around dinner. Yeah, and also just because it just fits in, like, socially, you know? Right. Like, for me, you know, we're we're recording here. It's 4 p.m. here in America, and I have not opened my window yet. I'll probably have a little something, maybe cheese and crackers, before I cook dinner. And then maybe a couple hours later, I'll cook dinner. Right, yeah, because the it is called one meal a day. So that actually doesn't refer to a length of time, does it? Right. It doesn't. And that see, I didn't eat lunch and I didn't eat breakfast. And I certainly don't think cheese and crackers are a meal, although they are delicious. They probably could be, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm going, the only quote meal I'm going to eat today is dinner. I didn't eat lunch. I didn't eat breakfast. Yeah. I'm going to have the cheese and crackers appetizer and then real dinner later. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll have a little something later, like a a dessert kind of a thing. My favorite thing to eat right now is still dates. People that listen to the podcast, I'm sure have heard me say that, but I'm not even putting peanut butter or goat cheese on them now. I'm just getting, you know, a few dates and eating them. Right, right. Yeah, that sounds pretty good, actually. (laughs) Yeah, oh, they're so good. But it might be an hour after dinner. You know, by the time I, today is a little later than normal. So I'll probably have, you know, the snack at five and then dinner at seven, and then some dates maybe at 8.30. 
But that's, I think of that as a meal, one meal. Right. So it's like you have basically your starter with the uh, cheese and crackers and then you have your main meal. And then, yeah, so, I mean, your body is still like, even though it's probably within like a three or four hour window. I mean, how long are your are your windows you usually? Well, it just depends. Now I'm, of course, in maintenance. And so I don't have loads of fat to run on. I mean, I still have body fat. Don't get me wrong. We, you know, we all do. We all can carry around body fat. But I'm not trying to actively lose weight and my body is happy at this weight range. You know, I haven't had to get smaller clothes in a a few years. I've been maintaining in the same clothing range. So sometimes I'll feel the need to eat earlier. Like my body will let me know probably, you know, today I'll have a shorter window than I often do. So probably tomorrow I'll get hungry a little earlier and I might actually have a second meal. Sometimes I do. Like it might be two thirty. Well, tomorrow the time change is here. So we're recording this in, in March. And so do y'all do the time change? Do y'all spring forward and fall back? Or do you yeah, just keep it? Yeah, this? Yeah. I wasn't sure if y'all did or not. No, we do. Yes. <laughs> do y'all do it to the same time? We Are y'all doing it today, tomorrow? I'm not sure whether if we do it at the same time, but yeah, we do. I mean, because the thing is I work off my own schedule. So like um, regular sort of, sort of like timings don't really apply to me. I just basically wake up and go to work. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Yeah. But tomorrow <laughs> I'll probably eat a little earlier just because when I have a shorter window one day, I end up with usually a longer window because my body's like, yep, you need a little more fuel. So I've gotten really good at listening to my body because I, I here in maintenance, my body, I think is really happy at this weight. I don't have to force myself to stay here. I don't have to really restrict. I don't have to eat extra. I don't have to try to eat more or eat less. I just naturally do it. Right. Right. Yeah. Without any kind of effort at all. That's that appetite correction that we talk about, you know, <laughs> Right. my body's right. just appetite corrected here. So tomorrow, yeah, there, there are some days, like I said, I have two, what you would probably consider to be two meals and that's okay too. Right. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, I've never thought about it like that, but okay, I'll give that a go. I mean, it certainly sounds a lot more forgiving than like I'm 22, two or 23, one. Also, yeah, the research that I've done on, you know, I have a new book that actually by the time this episode comes out, this is the week my new book, Fast Feast Repeat, is released. So it's out, it's available for listeners. But I did a lot of research when I wrote that book about, you know, how our bodies adapt over time. And one thing we know about intermittent fasting is it's great for us metabolically, it's great for us hormonally, and it prevents a lot of that adaptation that you get when you're doing like a traditional low calorie diet. But that being said, I don't think that it always will protect our bodies against everything. So like, let's say somebody did 23-1 and they did it long-term. You know, you can only eat so much food in a one-hour window without making yourself physically ill. I mean, you cannot physically stuff it in. I mean, I, I think that would be very unpleasant. So if you ate, you know, a very small amount of food day after day after day, even with intermittent fasting protecting us metabolically, I think our, our bodies will downregulate our metabolism over time to adapt to, okay, this is how much food we get. This is, you know, and so that's why I think switching it up is a good strategy instead of keeping it too consistent all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because we do have all those metabolic adaptations that we want to avoid. And when we're fasting, you know, we are fueled by our fat. So that protects us somewhat. 
But still, over time, the body's like, all right, there's really not a lot coming in, so let's slow it down. So, Yeah. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium, and specifically, Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. And one of your responses on the Facebook page, it really made sense to me where I think someone had asked like, oh, you know, like, how does uh, ketosis work if I'm doing fasting one day, but then the next day, I don't do as much say like one day, I only do 14 hours, but then the next day I do 18 hours. And I'm always changing. And one of your responses were like, um, you know, think of your liver, like glycogen stores, it's just basically how much you get rid of that sugar in one day, it'll basically carry over to the um, next day. So the longer you do it, days consecutively where you do IF, it basically lowers it to the point where you're pretty much hitting ketosis instantaneously, like um, not instantaneously, but very quickly into your fasting, the longer you do it consecutively. And that really made a lot of sense to, to me. It's true. And even for me, like let's say, I was really, really busy and I didn't have a chance to eat. And then I only had a chance to eat a small meal. I could actually get back into ketosis overnight and it wakes me up and I don't sleep well because if I didn't eat enough food, because I didn't have enough fuel. So, you know, we can get back into, it really depends on so many things, how much you're putting in, how much you ate, how much you worked out, if you exercised, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of factors, you know, people have these apps that, have these timers. They're like, whoop, now you're in ketosis. Whoop, now you're having autophagy. We're like, no, (laughs) that might not be true. I mean, you could be fasting 16 hours a day and never get into ketosis. Right, right, right. If you put enough food back in during that eight-hour window, you're not going to need to tap into your fat stores. So, you know, that's the thing that, that people don't always understand because 
we're all just so different. Yeah, I mean, I use both of them. I use both the Life app and the uh, Zero app. And I love the Life app. When I hit 18 hours, I'm into heavy ketosis. It always gives me a bit of a... <laughs> but you probably are. It tells you that you are, and you probably are. But you might not be. And that's the part that people need to keep in mind. You know, like when I've gone on vacation, like a cruise, and I have a lot longer windows, and I have a lot more alcohol, and I have a lot more food, more sweets than I normally do... It takes me a few days after getting back home to deplete my glycogen stores again. Like I'm very draggy. I'm lethargic. I'm not getting into ketosis. And I can tell I need a nap in the afternoon. And then finally, after a few days of my normal schedule, I can feel it kick back in. Right, right. But it's really draggy until I get to that point. And I'm certainly not hitting ketosis at 18 hours on those days because I still haven't depleted my glycogen. So, Right, yeah. That makes total sense. And like one of the big sort of surprise, like just something that just blew my mind was before I was doing IF, I was very susceptible to getting quite hypoglycemic. You know, I, there was actually a couple of occasions where like between meals, if I was doing something quite physically strenuous and I hadn't eaten anything in like a little while, I would get low blood sugar and get really weak. So I was always very sort of meticulous about always having food with me. So always taking like a banana or like a chocolate bar to like stop myself from getting hypoglycemic. And then after I think my second day of doing IF, I went for a walk, like a five kilometer walk in the morning before having anything, like when I was still fasting before my window. And I walked five kilometers, which is like three miles. And I felt fine. I had great energy. And I mean, I was just stunned, actually. I was like, so this is what it is. Like, my body is running off fat. And it was just like, I th- it was only like my third day of doing IF. I mean, it just blew my mind. That's amazing. And the thing is, we so many people say that they're worried they won't be able to do it because just like you said, the hypoglycemia that they're used to, that reactive, you know, you eat you know, your blood sugar goes up, your body releases insulin, and then your blood sugar crashes. And so we get caught on that blood sugar roller coaster where we're constantly feeding the crash and then it goes up and then it crashes again. And so all day long, we're just reacting to that repeated crash. And so people think that with intermittent fasting, you're not eating, that your blood sugar is just going to crash and keep crashing. But no, (laughs) it's the opposite. You get your rhythm and your blood sugar stays very steady. Once you adjust to fasting, it it isn't going to happen on day one for everybody. So I do tell people, if you ever feel shaky or nauseous, especially in early days, go ahead and eat because your body's still learning how to do a new thing. But People are like, yeah, I used to have hypoglycemia and now I don't and it's gone. And now I regularly play badminton while I'm faster. I play uh, cricket while faster. And people who've seen me before, because I used to be very vocal about having food with with me, just so, right. you know, like, because they're all team sports. So like you're around people a lot. Yeah. So people now when they've seen me, it's a bit of a shock to them when they say, oh, what, you have a breakfast? I'm like, no, I haven't eaten anything yet. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're wanting you to pull out your snacks and you don't have yeah. any snacks. <laughs> That's great. I love to hear about other countries, you know, the badminton and the cricket. And I don't, cricket has a bat, right? It's like a flat bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it like baseball? See, I'm showing my ignorance. Yeah, it's basically you bowl a hard leather ball as fast as you can. Yeah, and it's like a bat. Oh, is it rolling on the ground? Is the ball on the ground? 
the ball bounces once on the ground and like really good players can bowl a ball at around 80 miles per hour. Wow. So it comes pretty quick at you. But ironically enough, the first cricket match was actually played in America. I think okay. in Massachusetts. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> I guess it did not take off here. Maybe there are parts of the country where they play it. Like lacrosse is one of those sports that no one ever played lacrosse around here. I live in the southern United States. You probably right, know right. that. No one played lacrosse when I was growing up, but now it's starting to come around. But people are probably like, oh, Lord, Jen, you don't understand cricket. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> 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 but it sounds like it would be a lot of fun. But you're able to do that in the fasted state and not give it a thought. Like, no problem at all. I mean, I've gone jogging faster. I mean, I've found that, like, I've tried jogging while faster and um, I can still do it, but it's a little bit harder because I found that if my mind is occupied, it's effortless. But something like when you're just running, you know, your mind is not occupied. So you're still thinking about a lot of things. But say if you're playing cricket or badminton where, you know, you have to concentrate it's pretty much effortless. And that's the same with everything else for, for, for me. I find that if I'm just sitting at home on the computer, just mucking around, the body might sort of ping me a little bit of like mild hunger pangs to say, you know, what are you doing sitting down? Like, you know, you should, you should be out looking for food. I, I think that might be the uh, reason. But if I'm just out and about working or if I'm just out and about doing chores or, or, or like something, I don't even feel it the whole day. Yeah, staying busy. You don't feel hunger comes in waves. And when you're busy, you don't feel the hunger waves because you don't even think about it because you're not thinking about your body. Like you're, you know, even like if you have like a sore toe or something, you know, or whatever, you know, if you're sitting still, you're like, oh, my toe, my toe. But if you're busy, you forget about it. It's the same thing with the mild hunger waves. Mm, Yeah. So much about it is just in your head, basically, rather than. I mean, I still get probably one hunger pang a day, usually about 10 o'clock in the morning after I've been awake for about four hours. You just basically, you get through that five or 10 minutes and it passes and it doesn't come back after after that. I feel like, I mean, I, of course, I'm not measuring my ketones or <laughs> I don't recommend that people measure their ketones either just because it gets harder to measure them over time because your body is adapted and using them instead of having them hang around. But I feel like I'll have like a little wave of hunger right before my body is ready to finally get into that fat burning mode. Like I think it's my body saying, all right, if you want to send something down, you can. And then last if you don't, yeah, last, come on, <laughs> yeah. we're ready. And then I, I, to me, that little wave, and then I push past that. And then that's when I start to feel great. Mm, yeah. Do you find the same to be true? Once that wave hits, same then thing. it's, yeah. Same thing. It's just that 10 minutes. And then after that, I actually feel full after that. I actually feel like I couldn't eat anything after that. Well, there, I think that that's your body switching over to fat burning. That's my theory. <laughs> right, 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 right. right <laughs> you know, because yeah. then your body's like, all right, fine. You know, Jason Fung, have you, you've read The Obesity Code and his work? No, I haven't read The Obesity Code, but I have listened to a lot of his lectures. Okay. I love the one he talks about where, you know, the fat stored in our body is like the food that's in the deep freezer that you have in your basement. Yeah, the deep freezer. <laughs> yes. And like your liver is basically the fridge. And the, yep. yeah, 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 and, yeah. And that's yeah. my very favorite analogy of his. Mm. And for the people that yeah. haven't heard it, you know, that switch, right? That moment that Matt was just talking about when he switches over and then he's not hungry at all. 
That's his body accessing the fat stores. And think about, you know, your freezer. This is a Jason Fung analogy, so I'm not taking credit for it, like I said, but but I love it. But you've got the food in the freezer way down in the basement. And if you're hungry, you're going to eat the food that's in your pantry, that's in your upstairs refrigerator, in your regular kitchen, and that's what your body normally does. But now you don't have any food in your kitchen you're going to have to go down those basement stairs and get into that deep freeze. And that's what our bodies do when they switch over to the fat burning. As long as there's food in the refrigerator, you're not going to have to go down and and pull it out of the freezer. So that's what fasting is. Fasting makes us have to go to that freezer and we're accessing our fat stores. But our bodies don't want to. They'd rather just use that quick energy. It's such a great um, analogy, isn't it? It really is. And it makes a lot of sense. And then people are like, oh, you know, because that's what the fat is stored there for. It's there for us to access. Yeah. And like another thing that he said that totally made sense to me was like um, during his sort of clinical trials research, people who get gastric bypass surgery, a lot of times because they're so overweight, they're usually diabetic. And then once they get the surgery, their diabetes disappears. Yeah. It does. And yet we have a narrative that diabetes is progressive and incurable. So that right there shows that that's wrong. (laughs) It's true. And, you know, we hear that from, no, you can't reverse it. No, you can't cure it. But then we've got these people, lots and lots of intermittent fasters all around the world who have normal blood glucose levels, normal, and they had been diabetic and now everything is normal. They're not on medication. They're not needing insulin. And so, you know, some people have used the words like in remission because they don't want to say they've cured it. But, you know, if you're no longer having the problems, it sounds pretty cured to me. And I just love the fact that with him, he talks so much about the importance of insulin and like what he said about how diabetes type 2 was being treated he was saying that type 2 diabetes is i mean you of course you can articulate this better than me but what made sense to me was diabetes type 2 is the problem of having it's not that your body can't produce insulin but i might get this wrong but basically your body can't use insulin because your insulin is being pumped up the whole day for because you're eating the whole day That's it. It's really too much insulin leads to type 2 diabetes. It's the opposite problem of type 1 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes, not enough insulin. Type 2 diabetes, years and years of having too much insulin, too much insulin, that leads us to be insulin resistant. Our body no longer is listening. And because of the high levels of insulin, we're trapped in fat storage mode and can't get the fat out of storage. Yeah. And so they're basically treating um, type Two diabetes like it's type one diabetes. Right. When I read that from him, it was like, wow, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I've got I have a coffee group. I get together with them every Saturday mornings. We got together this morning. It's a Saturday that we're recording. And several of the ladies in the group are nurses. And, you know, one of them was a type two diabetic. And she was like, Oh my goodness, this is what everything we've been taught is wrong. Yeah, basically. (laughs) (laughs) I just consider myself so lucky that that doctor didn't put me on insulin because I had a blood sugar level of, I think, around 53 HbA1c count. I mean, I don't know whether you guys use that. Yeah, we have a different measurement, so I don't really know how that would correlate, but it was high. Yeah. 
Right. So if you have anything over 41, uh, so a normal range is anything below 39. Okay. And uh, pre-diabetic is considered to be 39 to 49. So I was actually in diabetic range. And he said, the only reason I'm not going to put you on insulin right now is because it's because you're young and right. if you eat better, you can sort of bring it down a little bit. Yeah. And D- Jason Fung does a great job explaining it that when you start, you know, let's say, you know, your blood sugar was in the diabetic range, you start taking insulin, that just moves that blood sugar out of sight, but it, it isn't solving the problem. Yeah, it doesn't solve the Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. The underlying, it just solves the symptom but not the cause. Right, right. So you have to figure out, you know, what can we do naturally? And I love the diabetes code. You haven't read the diabetes code either, I imagine. No, no. But you've seen a lot of his lectures, so you've got the info. The diabetes code is fabulous for anybody who is type 2 diabetic or if you love someone who's type 2 diabetic. I cannot recommend that book highly enough. The diabetes code is such a great, a great book. Now, let's talk about your disease symptoms that you had before in 2015 when you had diabetes and high cholesterol, fatty liver. How about now? What What's happening now with all those issues? So now with my latest uh, blood test for the first time in my adult life, my cholesterol is completely normal. Wow. I've consistently had elevated liver enzymes, so that's also normalized now. So I, I don't think I have fatty liver disease anymore. I, and I was having liver pain as well. That's completely disappeared. My blood sugar now is 38, I believe. Wow. Wow. That is in the normal range, not the pre-diabetic range. Awesome. Yeah. So um, I've completely reversed it. And and I almost wanted to sort of go back to that same doctor and just sort of, you know, ask him, you know, can you explain this to me? I think you should. (laughs) (laughs) Is he still around? Is he still available to you? No, he's left, unfortunately, because I asked for him. I I asked for him, but he wasn't there anymore. (laughs) Because I would. I'd be like, hello. Remember me? This is what you told yeah. me, and this is what I did yeah. instead. I mean, I remember that day going home, and I just felt so... I mean, I felt like I had some sort of like terminal disease, actually, because he made me feel so bad. Well, you did. 
You could have. It could have been. I mean, if you had kept going down that road and had not changed it, your health would have gotten worse and worse and worse. You know, my father is a type 2 diabetic, and I watch him struggling with that. And it's it's a hard road to go down, and your health does get progressively worse. With Indians, especially with South Indians, because, like, we're all vegetarians, basically. We all have a family history of diabetes, you know, because that's just everyone in, like, in like my family, like all of the elders and stuff, they all have diabetes and they all struggle with it. So, I mean, yeah, so it was like a big thing for me. And, yeah, I mean, the diet doesn't sort of help, but the time-restricted part of it, that can totally sort of negate if your diet is deficient of certain things. Yeah, they did a study with rats or mice. I can't remember which, but it was little rodents, little furry rodents. And they found that even when they gave them, you know, the garbage food that they were giving the other rats and mice, they were all eating junk food, basically rat junk food. The ones who were time-restricted eating were healthier, even with the junk food. Right, right. Just because of the one intervention of time-restricted eating. And they, they did not change their diet and they were healthier. You know, have you changed what you're eating at all? I know you mentioned that, I know you're still vegetarian, but have you changed from more of a processed food, sugary kind of eater to anything different? Or are you still eating the same way? Before, I used to drink a lot of um, energy drinks and all that. Um, I don't do that anymore because, yeah, I mean, that's just stupid. Right. But uh, <laughs> I still pretty, but I still eat bread Every week, I still eat rice. My main meal, it's always either something bread-based or rice-based or pasta. I would estimate my diet still to be about 80 to 90% carbs. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, I, I eat bread, rice, or pasta every night as well. <laughs> so yeah. I totally yeah. do. But I rarely reach for the heavily processed foods that I used to eat a lot of. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I still have like a um, green vegetable every day. So you're putting, you're having more vegetables than before. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, my, my like uh, body asks for it as well. I mean, I don't feel good if like I have just like a cheese pizza or something. I don't feel good the next day. And I am a lot hungrier the next day as well. I've paid for that. If I don't have a good meal, I do pay for it the uh, next day. So I've realized that it's also a question of fiber. Right. And vegetables give good fiber. So I realized that, yeah, you can have, I can have my rice, but I do have to make sure that I get like some fiber in there. So usually what I'll do is like, I have like a Nutribullet. So I'll just put on like an apple, some uh, spinach, and maybe like even like a carrot and just drink that instead. Cause that's just easier rather than to prepare like a salad. Because yeah, I mean, you know, me being like a young man, you know, it is like a little bit difficult to sort of cook up like a salad and all that. But yeah, I get it. So yeah. no, I don't even like making a salad; they're too fussy for me. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I don't like my my husband loves to eat salads, and so you know, we have the, these meal delivery companies, and there's one that has some salads. It's not the main one that we eat. Martha and Marley Spoon is where our dinner comes from, but there's one home chef that has good salads, and so I order their salad sometimes because it's got everything all there together, and I. Just just let him make that for himself. I'm like, here you go. Here it is. Make the salad. But they're very fussy to make. So I totally get it. But, you know, back to the point you just made, you know, people will sometimes say, if I eat carbs, then my fast is really hard the next day. Like you talked about how if you have a cheese pizza, 
your fast is really hard the next day. But it's not the carbs of the cheese pizza. It's not the carbs because every day you eat a lot of carbs. It's the lack of nutrients. So I think a lot of people who think that, quote, carbs make them hungry, it might be, I mean, maybe some people carbs do make them hungry, but for it may be that they're not having the nutrients. Mm. Oh, and I just remembered, and this is like a great, it ties into a really great point that um, Jason Fung made in terms of just calories, because he was like, if you have like 200 calories worth of cookies and 200 calories worth of spinach, do you think that your body is going to treat those two things the same way? And that made a, a, lot, a lot of sense to me, you know? No, but it's true. Our bodies are going to treat those very, very differently, even the way that we digest them. You know, like let's say that you have 200 calories of raw spinach versus 200 calories of cooked spinach, even the same exact food. Your body is going to use more energy processing 200 calories of raw spinach than it would use to process 200 calories of cooked spinach, even though they both have the same calorie content. And that's because our bodies have to do the work to break down the raw spinach versus cooked spinach. Cooking has already broken it down. You you know, we all know how mushy cooked spinach is compared to the raw spinach. So even if it's the same exact food, the way that we prepare it and cook it and eat it, can affect the number of, quote, calories that our bodies can extract from that food. Right, yeah. And just in terms of society, like um, here in New Zealand, we don't really have calories being posted on foods, like when we go to rest- restaurants. Oh, really? Yeah, and like um, when I was in New York last year for like a uh, vacation, I had a fantastic time. One thing that really struck me was, you know, when I'd gone to McDonald's in the morning to get myself a black coffee, I love McDonald's in New York because in America, because you guys have a $1 black coffee there, which was like the best part of America for me. Because <laughs> coffee here is extremely expensive. Uh. Yeah. And I mean, what struck me was everywhere I went on the menu, there'd always be like a calorie amount. Right, right there. Oh, this is this much calories. I just felt sorry for people, you know, because like people who are like, oh, I can only eat, you know, two thousand calories a day or eighteen hundred calories a day. They've got such a chain around their necks, don't they? You know, compared to what we do. It's true, and you know, sometimes people ask me, "How many calories do you think you eat?" And I'm like, "I really don't know. I'm not going to add them up. I don't want to. I don't think I would be good at adding them up because, you know, like um." Last night I was making dinner and I had some pasta and I threw some butter in there and I don't know how much butter I threw in there. I, <laughs> I <don't laughs> you know, know, throw the cheese in there, make yeah, it whatever. nice and cheesy, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. And I don't want to have to stop and do a math problem. And then, you know, I ate my dinner until I was satisfied. And then I stopped eating it. And I don't know how much of it was still left. I don't want to weigh the amount that I left on the plate. Well, how many onions did I not eat? How much chicken did I send over to my husband? Because with me, you know, I'm not a vegetarian, but I don't like to eat too much meat because my body says that's enough. Like I always get the time to stop eating the meat signal. So I had a piece of chicken and I ate part of it. And then I was like, all right. And so I I hand it over and my husband usually finishes it. So we end up with two servings of meat and I might might eat two thirds of one and he'll eat, you know, his plus mine. Right, right. But I don't know how many calories that was, you know. (laughs) Yeah. 
I've tried eating eggs and stuff, but I just don't like the taste of them personally. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's fine. Like IF has proven to me that as long as I just get my vegetables in every day and as long as I do my IF, what I'm eating doesn't really matter all that much. That's good. So you're seeing the benefits without having to really micromanage it. You know, if I had been calorie counting back in the times that I did it, there's a 0% chance I would have stopped eating because I, you know, quote, still had calories to eat. So I would never have said, oh, here, I don't want the rest of this. Eat this. I'd have been like, nope, that's my chicken. I'm going to eat that chicken because I'm counting those calories. And I would have eaten it just because they were part of my calorie count. Stopping when satisfied was never something in my mind. Yeah. And even though I'm about, my regular weight was around 225, which is 102. I've been around 87 kilos, which I think is around 195 for the last, I would say, six months now. I have to say the amount of food that I'm eating now before I was doing IF is pretty much the same. Yeah, it's just in a different window. It's in a constricted window, and I'm really not eating anything less in terms of amount. And it's just the sort of the fact that I can eat what I want, and I don't feel like I'm depriving myself of, of like anything. That psychologically itself makes it so much easier for me to just do this as like a lifestyle. I mean, my brother thought I was crazy when I was doing <laughs> IF, when I, when I started yeah. IF, because like we live in separate countries. And like after about a year, when I'd lost about 15 kilos, we did a uh, WhatsApp uh, video call. And when, and when he saw me, he was shocked. He was like, man, you, you look like you're about five years younger. And that's when he asked me, so can you tell me about IF? Right. People who at first thought you were crazy, now they want to know your secret. Yeah. You know, before, you know, there was always this sarcasm about, oh, so how long did you starve yourself? You know, so I, cause I, I just despise that word, no starving, you know? Oh, God. Me too. Oh, yes. It's a hot button issue for me because the people who say it are always saying it in a condescending way. They always say, oh, well, of course, you're just starving yourself. They say it in that rude way. Yeah. It's like they're mocking you. And I'm like, well, that just shows you really don't understand what's happening. <laughs> you should have dinner with me. I'm the opposite of starving when you watch me eat. Exactly. You haven't seen my dinners, brother. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, I just asked him, do you think I would have been doing this for the last year if I found this difficult? If I was hungry the whole day, do you think I would actually have the willpower to do it? And he's like, of course not. You know, like, it makes sense. If it's something where you're hungry all the time, which is what I was when I was trying to calorie restrict, I wouldn't be able to do this. If I'm hungry, it's probably about 10 minutes a day. That's it. Apart from that, I don't think about it at all. And so, yeah, anyway, like, um, so he started doing it. And he's seeing some good results. I, mean, I think he started doing it for since last month. He's seeing really good me because he told me that like, oh, I could never do, you know, 18 or 20 hours a day. And he started off at 15 hours. He just texted me the other day, really, really proud that he was able to do 18 hours. Oh. So, I mean, I sat down with him and um, I, you know, I told him like, um, because he thought that he could still have his morning coffee with milk and I was like no it just means black coffee <laughs> black coffee you could do it you could do it brother you can do it and, you know so um one of my best friends so he's also doing IF just from seeing me do it so I mean I've gotten a couple of people and all of them I never laid it on them it was always from them asking me what I was doing after seeing me after a couple of years 
when they were used to seeing me a lot bigger and then they see me now, the first question is, what are you doing? So then I tell them, I've been very, very careful about not laying my journey on out on anyone else because then I found that by default, they sort of take against it and I just can't be bothered having arguments with people. So I just usually let, you know, the results do the talking. <laughs> That's the best way because if people aren't ready to hear it, you don't have to, people are always asking in the groups, how do I convince my blah, blah, blah in my life that I'm like, you, you don't have to. Good news. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. have zero responsibility to convince anybody that what you're doing is good for you. Just do it. Live your life. If you're convinced, that's all that matters, really. And if people can just step away from that and then just live your life confidently and you know they're watching you and one day, like your brother came back to you with it, those other people are too because they want that freedom that you exude. So we are almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you had first started? What I wish I knew first, I mean, I wish I knew first when I started that, you know, it's never too late, no matter how far you are in, I mean, like most people, I I think who look into IF, maybe they're on their way to diabetes or they're already diabetic. I would state in my opinion that it is the best medication for your diabetes. What I wish I knew was like, oh gosh, maybe that yeah, you don't have to worry so much about what you're eating. And, oh, the hunger pangs. I have to say, stick with it. You will be hungry for 10 minutes, but the hunger does pass. Yeah, that's good does advice. Pass. So you, you just have to basically just write out that 10 minutes. And that 10 minutes is just the price for all these benefits. It's 10 minutes so that the rest of your, your day, when you finish your fast, and you feel good about yourself that you've stuck through with it and the health benefits that you get, it's totally worth it. It is totally. Well, Matt, thank you so much for talking to me today. And it's just thrilling to hear that you have, you know, at the age of now 28, you have stopped yourself from having this debilitating disease that was just going to get progressively worse for the rest of your life. And I know that that feels so good. Yeah, absolutely. And I would just like to thank you and your um, team for running such a fantastic Facebook group. It's such a place of positivity and um, good information. And um, I really wouldn't be on Facebook if it wasn't for your group. It's the only reason why I'm on Facebook because I love seeing all the stories that pop up every day. And I've posted on there a couple of times myself. But yeah, I just like, you know, you're doing really great work and um, I'm just so grateful to you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello 
at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.